welcome, welcome to another episode of the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And today, we are doing an episode that is not near and dear to my heart, but Manchester City and a team that right now is the all-conquering force is Alexander the Great peering over uh, his vast empire. Is Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon. Manchester City is conquering and has conquered all before it and it doesn't look like that will be stopping anytime soon and and so you know how people will say oh well if I bought Apple stock in 1991 uh, and I bought just one share I'd be a millionaire today well if you wanted to come in and buy Apple stock today that's what's starting to support Manchester City is like uh, this is a team that despite my because I support Manchester United, they're obviously direct rivals. They fight for the Manchester Derby, um, and City have essentially embarrassed United in pretty much every way, in a way that was thought unthinkable up until around 2007, 2008 or so. But this is a team that everybody should know about. This is the team that is the model for pretty much every team in the world in terms of looking at how to progress a club, turn a club into a domineering force, and Manchester City... Whatever negative things that you want to say about where their money comes from, about uh, kind of the plastic nature of the club, all these violations that they have and things that they've been sued for, whether right or wrong, throw all of that out in some way because Manchester City, in terms of just the footballing side, is about as close to perfection as you could possibly get. And so to start, Manchester City isn't a nothing club before they were bought by uh, Sheikh Mansour and the from the United Arab Emirates and basically had the the power and, and wealth of a sovereign state behind them. Manchester City was always, for a long time, I'd say probably the second team in Manchester in terms of English fame um, and fame across the country. But within Manchester itself, and you find this is often the case, right? They, just like Liverpool and Everton, and Liverpool is kind of the more famous uh, outside of Liverpool, both of them have incredible support within Liverpool. And so Manchester United was always kind of like the Liverpool and Manchester City was always kind of like the Everton. Very well supported teams that had a really diehard local fan base that loved the club. There's a time when the rivalry with Manchester United was not so vicious and people kind of played on both sides of the divide. Famously, Dennis Law did that, who's a Manchester United legend. Um, Peter Schmeichel, who's also a Manchester United legend, did that as well. And Manchester City, though, was always this kind of yo-yo club. They were they made the Premier League, but they had some bad seasons as well. And they happened to get bought, I think, in large part because they were in Manchester. And Manchester United was the most famous club in England by Sheikh Mansour as a kind of statement to say, yeah, this Man- Manchester United is the biggest club right now. Not going to be in 10 years. Not going to be in 20 years. And, you know, in 100 years, maybe not then either. So... Uh, I think it was a it was a marker that they laid down from day one, saying this is the best you have to offer. Well, let's see uh, let's see what we can do about that. Manchester City was bought in around 2008. If you want to go back and listen to the history of the Premier League uh, episode, I chronicled a lot of kind of their rise to power um, and rise to the top of the football world. Um, it took a lot of effort and a lot of money to get there, and they were smart about it. They went through different cycles. They didn't go straight for the top. They kind of went through it by levels. But anyway, the most famous uh, event in Premier League history 
uh, happened in 2011-2012 season when Manchester United and Manchester City were competing for the title on the last day of the season. All Manchester City had to do was beat QPR or Queen's Park Rangers and they would be champions for the first time in a long, long time and reach all of their dreams that they had been put out five years earlier. Uh, in Manchester United at the same time of day, on the last day of the season, every team plays at the same time and Manchester United was matched up against Sunderland. And Manchester United barely squeaked it out, but kind of took care of business against Sunderland. When the final match whistle happened uh, in that game, Manchester United thought that they were going to win the title. The Premier League, I believe, actually brought out Premier League title to Manchester United to present to them if Manchester City was not going to win their game um, so that they'd still be able to have a trophy celebration. Cue the stage for Manchester City versus QPR. QPR has a one goal lead and we're going into basically added time the end of the game there's less than five minutes left cumulatively and that time if you've ever watched soccer goes really quickly as teams start falling on the floor knocking balls out for throw-ins wasting all kinds of time it is hard to score a lot of goals in that time you come back you get a goal Manchester City just keeps piling on the pressure scores that equalizer and you think, maybe, just maybe, there's a chance. And something that I've always thought was impactful here was that Queen's Park Rangers actually, and you never know what the players actually knew, but Queen's Park Rangers was in a relegation fight that year, and they actually realized that they were safe in that added time. So in added time, word made it around the ground that based on the other results of the day, Queen's Park Rangers was not going to be relegated no matter what happened in their game. And, you know, maybe their motivation slips just by a little bit. But Manchester City hikes the ball up. There's a scramble around the box. And maybe the best striker, um, not named Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo at the time, zips through, takes it around some guy, fires it into the back of the net in at a time to win Manchester City's first ever title with Martin Tyler, some, you know, the 70-year-old voice of the Premier League, Screaming Aguero, and then his voice cracks like he's a uh, he's some thirteen year old boy, and it is just legendary. I've honestly never watched it really back ex uh, again, except for uh, when they force you to watch it on Premier League commercials. It was uh, it was brutal. It did lead to Manchester United buying Van Persie the next year and winning the next year. Fergie was actually going to retire after that season, but he could not retire on uh, how how bad that ending went. Yeah, that is stuff that, like, dreams are made of if you're your City fan. But, I mean, little did the league know. They probably thought they were, like, dethroning the team in Manchester. And, yeah, the league was going to be happy about it and have more parity and more stuff. But little did they know they were really just unwaking a different monster, probably an even bigger monster in Manchester in a team that is Manchester City. Manchester United is kind of like... They're kind of like uh, like in the androids. Just they kill everyone. They're like powerful. And then Manchester City is perfect cell and uh, absorbs the androids, eats them, and is far more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Um, if that reference doesn't make any sense to you, then uh, shame on you. So they kind of float along a little bit, a little bit rudderless, not try trying to figure out where next to go. And they end up appointing a guy from Catalonia in Spain 
named Pep Guardiola. Now, Pep Guardiola, in his own right, was a really good player. He was a defensive midfielder. He played for Barcelona. He played for Spain. Um, you know, he was maybe not quite the best player at, in his position at any given time, but he was a very, very good player, top quality, you know, a Champions League type player and a guy who played for a long time. He was a, a guy who had a lot of principles. He had come up in Spain, going back to Barcelona, managing their reserve team. And when Barcelona wasn't doing so well, they fired their manager. And instead of going out into the world and trying to find the biggest, biggest best manager, they went in-house. And they brought up this guy who used to play for their team, who is now managing the reserve team in Barcelona, and promoted him straight to the top. And how did he reward them? He turned that Barcelona team into the single greatest team I have ever seen. I don't think I they that team was ridiculous. Lionel Messi, a young Lionel Messi, a hungry Lionel Messi, up top with David Villa, Thierry Henry, Samuel Eto'o at at a point. The midfield, even leaving Messi out of it, the midfield was ridiculous. Sergio Busquets, Xavi, and Iniesta is the greatest midfield trio that will ever exist. I don't think it's possible to get better than that. And then players like Danny Alves, Carlos Puyol. Uh, PK, Victor Valdez. We don't need to talk about that Barcelona team, but if you ever want to go back and watch Barcelona, what the model for what Pep is trying to create everywhere and kind of where, what kind of heights they reached, that Barcelona team conquered everything. They won the treble. Uh, they won multiple Champions Leagues, both of them against Manchester United. That team introduced a new style of soccer that Pep Guardiola is now so famous for. And really he changed the game and it, that at the time that was called tiki taka we don't really call it that anymore for whatever reason but it was basically passing you to death it was a style where possession is king um it wouldn't wasn't uncommon to see barcelona against even the best teams in europe have 80 percent of the ball which is unheard of you know most classically if you had 55 60 percent of the ball you were dominating possession uh but barcelona was absolutely dominating the ball and what that meant was they even if they didn't score with every time that they were basically passing it around a lot, it meant the other team had no opportunity to score if they didn't have the ball. And it also meant that they were able to develop a lot of the passing, almost set plays or plays that they uh, that we'll talk a little bit about here. That's a story for another time, and we will basically move on to when Pep Guardiola ends up going to Bayern Munich, and he never really achieves the top-level success because Bayern Munich... If you know anything about the German league, pretty much wins the Bundesliga every year. And so success for them is really winning the Champions League. He was unable to do that. Um, so he really, he won the league all the time, but the, he, his style never really meshed with Barcelona, or with Bayern Munich. I think Pep is a person that does well at the center of everything when he feels extremely comfortable, like when he feels when everybody is behind him. Um, when he feels that there's no bickering and Bar Bayern Munich is just the opposite of that. They're known as Hollywood FC. There's a ton of like drama. There's a million political forces, backroom guys, all ex club members who are famous with, with, uh, the fans. There's a guy who was in jail. The president, I think went to jail for tax fraud and then came back and got elected again. And, uh, but basically Bayern Munich is definitely more, uh, game of Thrones style, uh, political backstabbing a lot of little fingers there so he didn't he didn't succeed super well there and so he was looking for his next club and so he looked for Manchester City and Manchester and he wanted to come to England and Manchester City 
offered him up basically the club and its future on a silver platter. And they said, we will hire this guy that you know, Cheeky Burigistan. I'm probably messing up that name. I think it's a, a difficult one to, to, to pronounce for us. He is essentially the director of football there. And Pep Guardiola is the manager. And that is just a partnership made in heaven. They have, they are, I think, for me, the reason why Manchester City has become what they are today. And that is just a behemoth. That plus the, the money from the United Arab Emirates. When you say almost perfect teams, like they really are almost perfect teams. Like when you think of that Barcelona team or, you know, even City in the last few years, I hate to say it's almost boring. Like how can like something so close to perfect and so beautiful be boring? But it almost is because they're just too good. Like they're just it's ridiculous. Like it's unfair. Even if you're not someone who is, you know, really schooled in tactics or anything, you just see there's a cut above all of these other incredible teams and incredible players. And at times you, you just get a little bit bored seeing them dominate teams they play they don't just win games they like absolutely dominate it they don't give you a single hope and it is it's really interesting because i think a lot of the people that were watching at the time especially the kind of the older generation that had never really seen this before because it's never really been done to this level um you know when barcelona and tiki taco was coming about it was almost used as like a pejorative term it was almost used as a negative something to kind of say look this is really boring because passing it around the back without kind of purpose is kind of boring I'm not saying that Manchester City necessarily does that, but especially when they go coast and they just choke the life out of the game. You know, when other teams wit, score well or score a lot of goals, you still think that maybe their defense is a suspect or, you know, there at least be a couple chances for the other team. But they are really, they just choke you out and drag you into the water and kill you. Um, it's almost like in the NFL, if you had like a team that just rushed the ball for four yards every single play, and you knew the next play, they were just going to run it up the middle for four yards, and you still couldn't stop them. It's almost like, the, I guess you could think about it like the tush push if if you want to get topical uh, with, with the Eagles, where it's kind of a boring play because it's just so damn effective, and it just takes all the drama out of the game. I mean, there's distinct memories I have of just watching Spurs play City, and if a goal went in in the first 10 minutes, I would just think to myself, well, this is kind of a wasted game for me because there's no chance Spurs come back and I didn't even get a chance to you know trick myself into believing oh maybe if it's 0-0 in the 80th minute or you know, at least get to watch 80 minutes of it all level it's like no they scored in the first 10 minutes and now the game is pretty much over I know it's over the players probably know it's over and it's kind of wasted me waking up at seven o'clock to, to watch this game yeah it is because when even when Manchester United was at their best they had they could get you could get at them like you could go and score against them um, even if they were going to beat you 5-3, which they beat Tottenham, I think, 5-3 a couple times, you knew you could still see those three goals. But City uh, City is a different different beast. But, but Pep and Cheeky, basically, they work so well together because they know exactly what the vision of the club should be. They know exactly what players they should have. Cheeky knows exactly what Pep requires from his players. He's, just like every top manager, absolutely demanding. Pep Guardiola is kind of a quirky eccentric guy he says kind of weird stuff sometimes he'll always try to convince you that uh, after a loss that he's i'm so happy so happy you know with how his team plays. what happy people say yeah right? exactly if you have to tell <laughs> people that much yeah uh but he's also very uh erudite very educated just a kind of i think one of those guys who's a little weird but 
extremely intelligent and extremely demanding on his players. He expects nothing less than perfection from his players. He is incredibly tough taskmaster, tough taskmaster, but he's, I think just like Fergie, he tends to protect his players um, out in the media. So you don't really hear him negatively talking about him, uh, about his players in the, in the press, but the, in the actual training sessions, I'm sure he is brutal. Uh, and he has shown that if you're not performing, he's just going to go out and buy a guy um, in your position for another $60 million and that guy is going to play instead. I think what really always impresses me about Pep is that he's always defining the meta or defining you know, the new tactics for, honestly, the world of soccer or football, uh, however you want to say it. It's like some guys you see are top class managers, top flight managers, but they kind of end up having, you know, maybe they have a style that doesn't really continue to work in the long term or other teams kind of figure out how to play against it or maybe it doesn't work with the current generation of players. But with Pep, he's the one who's always innovating. He's always like seizing this initiative and dictating how the game and how the game as a whole is going to be played for you know leagues all over the world. And by the time other teams figure it out or start trying to copy their success, he's kind of moved on to a new tactic or a new way of playing and everybody's now playing catch-up again. So that's what scares me, and it's so impressive about him. He, he's not a one-trick pony. The dude just has so many things in his tool belt and is just growing every time he goes out and manages the game. Yeah, that it's a great point. I think he, just like, you know, you can have a pop artist, right, that just makes pop music, and maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but, you know, it may, it's popular, it's good, they'll make a ton of money, um, they'll be famous. But then you have people like, you know, like the Beatles or something at, that redefine the genre but while also being super popular. And he is both. He's kind of you can have the artists that the art, the rappers love and the the pe- or the the movies and directors that the the movie critics love. And they're super popular with everyone else. Pep Guardiola is a manager that every manager that manages in soccer looks up to and says, if I could ever reach like half of that guy's level, like I will have it made. And he's, I'm looking and trying to steal all of his ideas. And at the same time, he's kind of the best manager in the world. So I guess, would you say he's the best manager in the world? I think for the last few years, him and Jurgen Klopp have probably been the guys at the top. Yeah. I mean, I think without a doubt, there's you know no team out there who would, who would not instantly fire their manager pretty much. And if Pep was like, yeah, I'll come manage you if you, if this position's open. There's nowhere in the world they'd say, mm, no thanks, we're, we're good without you. Yeah, something that people do say about Pep is that if you take somebody like Ferguson, why was he so strong as a manager? I think a huge, and why was he able to do it for you know nearly three decades is because of his man management skills. He Fergie was not really a tactician, um, which was fine kind of back in the in the day when he was managing. You didn't the tactics weren't quite as advanced as they are now, and so he was able to kind of get away with that, but. The the man management is what allowed him to continue going every year. And he is he was really able to instill a mentality amongst his team that made them the best team in uh in England for a long time. And really that is a really difficult skill. I think Pep also has that ability, but he's also probably the best best tactician in the world as well. And so some people like to say that, you know, uh if you were to give Pep Guardiola, a bunch of no-name players, um, or tell him to go manage uh, a championship-level side. 
or you know Burnley or Luton Town, he'd probably be the worst manager in the world because he's demanding such a highly technical style that requires incredible players. Basically, to play Pep Guardiola's style to the best, you need literally the best players in every single position because there cannot be a single weakness. It is a team. It is a togetherness, and every single player on the on the pitch needs to be essentially one of the best players in the world at controlling the ball, passing the ball, and finding space in passes. And if you were to give him just regular old Joes, people like to make the argument that other managers like a Jurgen Klopp or Sir Alex Ferguson could would maximize that team, but Pep Guardiola uh, wouldn't, which... Maybe there is some truth to that. I think there is some truth to that. I think it, you know, Pep Guardiola could probably adapt as well as anyone. But at the same time, it's like arguing like, yeah, like this, uh, this Ferrari driver, uh, isn't the best at driving down the street to the grocery store because, uh, he can't take, you know, he doesn't like to slow the car down and take the corners well. And it's like, sure, but he's still like the best driver in the world if you put him in front of the, in the fastest car in the world. And that's actually what you get paid for. Nobody really cares about the rest. I think that's a great analogy and takes us probably back to Manchester City because, of course, this episode is not all about Pep, even though those two things kind of are more and more intertwined uh, as the years kind of go on with City's success. But really takes us to how Pep has set up City lately. And so from tiki-taka to what's now being called positional play. And so this is really more of a fluid type of play it's trying it's like simple it's really simple principles right it's finding diamonds it's finding triangles and it's overloading positions but the real difference here is that players are kind of free-flowing they are not really playing just like a center back as we saw with like john stones where he's a center back but he's coming into the midfield or with inverting outside backs but it's really this kind of breaking up the field into spaces and channels and kind of ensuring that players are following these really strict principles, that they are maximizing the space of the field, and that they're able to kind of keep these overloads, keep these diagonals and triangles, even when someone moves out of position. So it's like an action with the equal and opposite reaction. So if a player moves into the midfield from the center back, great. The, you know, either sometimes the goalie will step up and kind of fill that back line or you'll have a wing back kind of pinch in. It's always having this rigid, strict spacing that is always filled in the same way. And it kind of moves players from having specific roles to more of a structure and script. So no one's really the protagonist as an actor, but all the players kind of have to know uh, the entire script and where to fill in the spaces to make sure that the show goes on correctly. Yeah, and it's kind of it's trying to show that uh, a t- togetherness and team play is always, almost always going to basically be better than asking a bunch of individuals to to just go out there and do their things, which they can, and that's traditionally how people have basically told their uh, best players to work. If you follow Harry Redknapp, who's a famous manager in England, who's kind of the least tactical guy ever, he basically just said, "Just fucking ran around out there." That's basically how he. Uh, except that in an English accent. I don't know what accent I just did. But <laughs> if you ima- imagine the soccer pitch divided up. So if you're drawing, if you have a, a soccer pitch in your mind's eye, you have the the kind of center third. So that's the middle third. If you're drawing long lines kind of across the length of the field, 
you have that middle third that kind of covers the goals. And then you have the wide areas. So you have the the areas maybe 10, 15 yards from the sideline uh, on each side. And then in between the center, that center area and those wide areas, you have these spaces. And those are called in soccer the half spaces. And the fundamental, just like Kevin was saying, way that uh, Pep Guardiola has his team set up is that you do not have too many players in any of those half spaces or any of those uh three different areas so wide areas half spaces and central areas you have enough people um, but not too many set up in all of those uh, channels all at the same time so that you always have options available and creating triangles has always been a fundamental part of barcelona soccer now manchester city soccer pep guardiola soccer and going back to the netherlands and your johan cruyff who kind of originated this kind of total football they practice these plays where it's I come in here you pass it to me you make that run and now we kind of and we know how to do this really well and I know exactly where you're going to be because we've practiced this a million times on the practice pitch you know when you think about soccer you don't really think of set plays in the same way that you might in football or basketball and they definitely don't exist like that Um, but there is some element to it that Pep Guardiola and other managers have brought to the game yeah, this structure of spacing, just like you're saying, I mean, it just, one, allows or in City to seize initiative and you dictate the game, both in and out of possession. But two, it allows Pep to control and dictate things more than any anyone else. So, of course, you, you want the best manager in the world, the most tactically proficient manager. You want him to have as much control as you can. And so rather than, you know, just relying on the players, you kind of get Pep involved into the game as well. And instead of just, you know, reacting and you know, making little tweaks here and there while the game's going on, he's really like orchestrating things in the game before the game even starts. Yeah. And, you know, Pep is an incredible manager and uh, you can do a lot of diving into his tactics, but let's not forget that he also has some of the absolute best players in the world. And if you look, he might have the best player in the world right now playing up top for them. So, uh, Manchester City had was not just like in Bayern Munich. Manchester City had dominated domestically, but they were not able to win the Champions League. They famously fa- Pep Guardiola famously played Chelsea in the Champions League final, and he meddled too much, uh, or at least that's what people say. Like he he played like a completely new lineup, basically uh, in the Champions League final that they had never played before. Basically, trying to create a strange, new, interesting structure that on paper would give. Manchester City the advantage but a lot of people thought that he was just tinkering too much and also that in his search for all these players that are incredibly technically proficient he lost one of the critical things that every team pretty much needs and that is what Lionel Messi was to those Barcelona teams a finisher a guy who's just going to go out and score goals Um, And this was always something that since Sergio Aguero left the squad um, or kind of exited his prime that uh, Pep had tried to get around by having things like a false nine, playing Phil Foden up there, uh, where he tried to tactically get around it. But then they, I think, realized that, hey, there's this guy, Erling Holland, who plays for Borussia Dortmund. I think he's actually uh, a pretty good striker. He scores basically every Champions League game that he plays in. He scores every Bundesliga game that he plays in. Let's bring him to the club. Oh, and his dad used to play for Manchester City as well. Um, And he grew up 
being a Manchester City fan. So uh, they brought him over uh, last season. And when I tell you that I was hopeful that Pep Guardiola was just going to kind of like fade into the the background at some point because he got bored. Erling Holland is like taking if Pep Guardiola is some kind of like guy who trains the, uh, you know, turns his teams into automatons and kind of robots and pressing. He's like getting the Terminator and putting him up top and saying, all right, I, my team of robots plus the Terminator, uh, who's just going to absolutely shred every single person. And geez, did he shred every single team last year? It's crazy, right? This strikers coming to the Premier League, it's almost always like a struggle. Like you see it all the time, especially, you know, you buy a striker from Spain who's been, you know, lights out there scoring everything everywhere. And all of a sudden he comes there and he struggles for a year or two. Holland at like, what, at age 21, comes to the Premier League, wins a golden boot. Like it was, it was unfair. It, he, and not even, it wasn't even close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Harry Kane last year had, I think he scored almost 30 goals, which most years is like, you know, a good shout for golden boot. You either locked in it or you're close in the race. But it wasn't even like, he wasn't even in the conversation. That's how good Holland was when he came there. And he makes it look so easy. Like, Gabriel Jesus was a striker at Manchester City for a, a while, and he would miss a lot of chances because Manchester City, because they're so good, they create so many chances. And so when you see Holland play, you'll be like, oh, he just, like, got on the end of, like, a ball and just tapped it in from, like, three yards out. Or, oh, he just, like, jumped up a little higher and, like, won a header there. But, like, it's actually playing striker is so much different than every other position on a soccer pitch that it's really hard these days to find those strikers those strikers used to exist a lot more back in the day um, but holland is big which is not what you classically see from a pep guardiola player he is incredibly fast um, he has all the physical talent and he also and is able to head the ball in a way that most pep guardiola players don't um, and he also has all of the technique um, all of the movement skills all of the the mentality that Pep Guardiola demands as well. So, I mean, he's essentially a perfect player, and this team creates so many chances that it's almost impossible for him to not just score 40 goals every year minimum. Which I think is, you know, a really good transition into how absolutely dominant City has been. And looking to the future, as long as Pep stays there, as long as they still have the owners they have, probably looking at more domination here going forward and city's won five of the last six and it doesn't look like they're stopping anytime soon uh they're they're for the favorites right now and my guess is they're gonna be the favorites for for the next few years so let's just briefly talk about their team because they do actually have good players outside of erling holland but they have erling holland up top their other attackers are jack Grealish, who they bought for 100 million and maybe isn't even a starter anymore but he's kind of he's almost like david beckham light um he kind of has a party boy attitude but is incredibly talented but also has kind of like a huge media presence um, in England. Um, but he's a really exciting guy. Um, they have uh, Bernardo Silva, who's been there for a long time in, uh, in attack. Jeremy Doku, who's a, a kind of silky player that they just bought this season, who has come in and really impressed. A lot of teams, players will come in, fit in really quickly. Um, but Pep Guardiola's tactical instruction and what he demands from players is so much that it takes almost every player that comes in especially an attacking player outside of Erling Holland that comes into City usually takes a year to settle them down 
Um, they don't usually play that much in year one. And then by year two, and everyone starts saying, oh, well, they finally made a mistake in the transfer window because they never make mistakes in the transfer. They're like the anti-Manchester United. And then uh, by year two, the, the player has basically turned in a superstar. But they also have Julian Alvarez, who is a, a really young player who I think they think is going to grow into one of the best players in the world. Phil Foden, who is kind of needs to start showing that he's one of the best players in the world. He's always been this kind of like talented guy. But it's the interesting thing about City is they have just so many talented players that none of them really get the spotlight outside of Erling Holland. Um, and that's fine um, as long as the team continues to win. But if they don't win, I could imagine some of them wanting to leave, you know, players like Raheem Sterling and things like that. Uh, in midfield, Kevin De Bruyne is probably outside of Erling Holland, maybe the best player in the league or has been over the last five years. He is a, you know, people kind of overuse the, oh, he's a midfield quarterback, um, but he sprays passes everywhere. He's basically mega talented he used to play for Chelsea Chelsea thought he was not good enough for them and oops turns out he's one of the top five players in the world for the last like decade so just an incredible player um, they brought over uh, Kovacic from uh, Chelsea and then Rodri is probably the best defensive midfielder who they bought from Atletico Madrid I believe he came in and was like a direct replacement for Fernandinho who anchored this team for a decade um, and Rodri has come in, won the scored the winning goal in the Champions League final last year, and as a defensive midfielder, has basically solidified and anchored that defense in a way that I don't think really anybody else in the world could easily do. In defense, they have Kyle Walker, who used to play for Tottenham and is a mainstay. He's basically one of the fastest guys that's ever played this game. Um, and they use that because they press up so high that anybody that kind of breaks the line, Kyle Walker always catches up and kind of tackles and slide tackles. And he's been there for a long time. Ruben Diaz is their center back leader, um, rock at the back with John Stones. And they also have Nathan Ake, and they bought Josco Fordio for another $100 million this year. I mean, Manchester City is the only team that basically can buy a $100 million defender and not even expect him to start. And, then in, and they also have uh, Akanji, who's played really well since he moved, um, I think, from Borussia Dortmund. And then... Um, in net, they have Ederson, who is basically the prototypical keeper who is essentially as good as any outfield player um, in the Premier League in terms of passing, using his feet, which is just not something that was expected of any goalkeeper before kind of this new era started by Pep Guardiola. Yeah, it's almost a joke that City plays like at times a 4-5-2, which yeah, if you're doing the math is over... 10 players that you normally see in a lineup because, you know, usually that 11th is a goalie and that's what they're doing. They're in the net. But City, you know, they've really involved him in the, the attack and it involve him in creating those, you know, triangles and diamonds just to give more passing outlets so they can kind of continue dictating the game. And it's it's wild. Like, the names you just rattled off, that bench is probably stronger than most starting teams in the Premier League, which is just insane it's a wealth of riches and it really helps them so much because they really share the game loads right when you're successful obviously you're playing in europe you're probably going far in the domestic cups and it helps so much to be able to not take quality hits in players because you have a second team that is you know arguably as strong as your first and it's just such an advantage over other teams and that's why city has this ability at the end of the year as you saw last year when you know there's a title race between them and Arsenal, 
I mean, Arsenal starts to falter where, you know, guys are playing all these games, their legs are getting heavy, they've knocked throughout the year, and City is just chugging along, and if anything, they're picking up steam is because these guys are, you know, playing high amount of like 20 games that year instead of, you know, in the 40s, and it really comes to show, and you see it always in the second half of the year. If anybody thinks that we're on here and talking about, uh, and maybe saying, you know, the way these guys are talking about City, it's a little bit, like it's a little much. Shut up, because... That just means that you haven't been watching uh, because we will never, I don't think, and maybe we will, but you know, a lot of it can change in soccer, but, and never is a long time, but I'm not sure that in my lifetime, we will ever see a team that looks the way that this city team looks and gives everyone else in, uh, in the league kind of a depression and a, and a malaise because they don't think that the title is winnable because this Manchester city team exists. And it is interesting because Manchester City isn't really as hated, I guess, uh, as a lot of other teams because they're almost viewed as and not uh, they're almost viewed as like a team that didn't earn it because they were just kind of bought their way to the top and they weren't a big team before uh, the UAE bought them. And the thing about soccer is like rivalries are so big, they're so meaningful. Like if you ask a Tottenham fan, who would you rather uh, win the win the league? Arsenal or Man City? That's not even a question. They'd obviously rather City. If you ask a United fan who hates City, would you rather City or Liverpool win the league? They always pick City. Chelsea, the same for any team in the league, including Liverpool, including Arsenal, United, Tottenham. They would rather Man City win. Every If you ask the fans uh, of the entire top six, top seven, who they would actually prefer to win the Premier League if it wasn't their own team... Pretty much every single one of them would say Manchester City, which is something I think that is really strange for someone that's maybe coming from American sports where everybody hates the Patriots at they're at the top. People don't like the Warriors when they're at the top. People probably aren't liking the Chiefs now because they're winning every year. The rivalries are so damn strong in soccer that you could say it. Everyone can kind of justify Manchester City winning by saying, yeah, but they don't count. They just spent their way to the top. It's really, it's so interesting and so different. You're absolutely right. Those are great points. And I don't know if it's fair or unfair, but this kind of theme and through line of people saying, well, yeah, they have the resources. Of course they want it. You know, who, who wouldn't win it? And I think one of the things, yeah, I just obviously not a sponsor. Just watch the uh, Beckham documentary uh, on Netflix. And you kind of see how crazy the treble was for United to win. Of course, it's dramatized, you know, because it's it's David Beckham being able to have editing rights. Of course, you know, I always go into documentary thinking, yeah, with with a lens of okay, yeah, they get to have a little bit of creative licensing and shape stories certain ways. But it was like such an unheard of thing, right? It was this impossible dream to win a continental treble, which is you know winning the FA Cup, the league, and Champions League. But for City, I mean, of course, this is the first year that they won uh, the Champions League, but it didn't seem impossible. It, it felt inevitable, right? It wasn't like, oh man, our City. It felt likely. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it felt it, like that is even crazier. It's it, it's not inevitable. You're right. It's likely. It, it's it's not. Is this going to happen? It's like, when's it going to happen? And the when is always like, yeah, they're probably favorites for it this year again. And so I, I think that kind of takes away a little bit from. From what they're doing, even though they are kind of this like perfect, perfect machine. Yeah, and the background to this is right. So they're owned by the United Arab Emirates. Well, technically they're not, but they're owned by this guy. But in theory, they're really or like in practice, you know, there's a difference between de jure and de facto. 
uh, and uh, the uh, <laughs> so really they're kind of owned by the UAE, and so they have infinite money, right? And they've invested a lot of that money into the club, into the city um, surrounding the stadium, um, those types of things in a way that is admirable. But obviously, there's a lot of people that have issue with the kind of a that ownership model of almost a state and b kind of how those places earn their money and kind of keep on going i mean obviously that's a little bit hypocritical given that every team is owned by a billionaire and most of them aren't very nice people but city has also been accused multiple times i mean currently i think has like 130 charges brought up against them financial charges that basically say that part of the way they got around financial fair play is that and these are accusations that haven't necessarily been proven that they basically used Etihad Airways, which is uh, the name of uh, second largest airline in the UAE. And that's what the stadium is called. Basically, they used all of these companies that the UAE owns and basically just used that to kind of legally and accountingly, you know, from an accounting standpoint, legally funnel kind of quote unquote legit sources of revenue into the club that allowed them to go and spend all this money when they didn't really, quote-unquote, earn that money. And Manchester City, I think, nowadays is because they're so successful, they are definitely outside of the top, you know, six or seven clubs in terms of popularity in England historically. But I think with the young people that are starting to follow, they just see Erling Haaland. They just see how dominant this City team is. Manchester City has trouble filling their stadium for Champions League games because locally they're just they are have do have a diehard support but just you know aren't super super popular but i think if you look in 20 years all these kids that are growing up playing fifa playing with erling holland even though manchester city is not necessarily what you quote unquote call a huge club right now because they just don't have that many fans it's people just don't not that many people care about them that much i think that's going to change just based on how successful they are it's really weird to have you know the most successful team in Europe, not be you know one of the the absolute biggest monsters as far as fan base. But the thing I think I hate the most about what City is doing right now, it's not just City. Uh, I want to make sure you know we're not just piling on. There's a lot of teams that do you know creative accounting and these kind of like football groups that have multiple teams in multiple leagues that are kind of feeding and funneling uh, players and talent to the quote unquote top tier team. And I think City is one of them. What you're saying is basically one owner that owns a team in every league is basically the goal. Exactly, exactly. And City is, you know, with most things, they are doing it and they're doing it more efficiently and effectively than most others. And you kind of just see it continually grow. Um, every year there's a new quote-unquote affiliate of Manchester City and the City Football Group is what they're called. And it, to me, it just kind of is ruining the game. You feel bad for these other leagues. You feel bad for these other teams if, you know, you're ending up being a feeder team or you're entering up being you know just a glorified academy for the quote-unquote top team i i kind of hate it and i think it really takes away uh, a lot of the great stuff from other leagues yeah it's kind of almost one of those things that starts making you think about the death of football you know one of the funniest comments i think ever on uh on reddit was uh when somebody was saying that they support all of the, they support essentially the financial group of that owns Manchester City <laughs> and uh, basically the rest of the, the people making fun of them, basically saying, well, you can't actually support a financial group. That's not what this is about. Um, <laughs> but uh, Manchester City, I think, is the model for everything. My 
if you want, if you're actually looking for my advice for a team to support, feel free to go out and support Man City. If you're, they're going to win stuff basically for the, until Pep leaves at the very minimum and they'll likely get another great manager and keep winning stuff after that. And so it will be a very successful time. But this is, I don't, I'm not going so far as asking you not to, but just evaluate kind of what you want because I'm not sure that you're going to feel the satisfaction because this is a team that it's like rooting for Terminator to win. You know, uh, they already are at the top. They have every weapon. There's nothing left really to stop them except for themselves and getting in on them now, just you're going to miss out on a lot of the growing and kind of the things that are going to emotionally bond you to a club. If you kind of jump on with them right now, um, which maybe for many of you will work. It's just one of those things where you enjoy the top moments a lot more if you've had a lot of bad ones. And one title after two decades of uh, failure is probably going to mean more than two decades of titles. So that's all I'll really say about that. Hope and heartbreak. Hope is five, heartbreak one. There's nothing else really there. Yeah, I think it's well said. And yeah, almost unnecessary to even have the scale form. <laughs> it's automatic. So I think that kind of ties up this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, feel free to reach out to us on any of our socials. I think we're probably the most active to answer any questions and stuff on Instagram. You can find us at Premier League Proven. Uh, please feel free to share the show with whoever you think uh, would be a good buddy to maybe have following the Premier League with you. So get them into it, get some more folks into it, share it around. We'd love to hear from them, hear from you. And thank you so much for listening. Signing off.